many lumens do you think Ned had back in the day? All of the lumens that were available to him. <laughs> Which probably wasn't that much. No, but I'm rocking 500. <laughs> Welcome to He Read, She Read, the podcast where a couple of married bookworms discuss what they're reading and learning. Today we're discussing our favorite bookish childhood memories. I'm Curtis. And I'm Chelsea. Before we begin our trip down memory lane, we have a listener question from our good friend Katie. Katie asks us, if you could pick any book right now, what would you make your spouse read? Katie's bringing the good questions always. I know, I love her. Um, you can go ahead and go first. I would make you read The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. Why? Well, it's one of my all-time favorite books. It's a good reason. It's timely mm-hmm. and involves issues that we discuss pretty often in our house. Um, and the movie's coming out soon, and I want to go see it, but I want you to read the book before we go together. What would you make me read? Um, I don't know. I think that you'll enjoy The Hate You Give, but even if you... Even if I didn't think that, that's the one I would make you read. So even if you don't think I would enjoy it, even if you know it's not in my taste, what book would you force me to read? Okay, so it might be just because it was topical in what I just finished reading, but I reread uh, War by Sebastian Younger, which was the author of Perfect Storm, and they did a film uh, documentary called Restrepo, and it's about a platoon of infantrymen in Afghanistan in 2007. Um, and the book documents their full 15-month deployment. And it was pretty much a similar area to where I was. So it would be a good one for you to read and understand. Yeah, because when you were in Afghanistan, we couldn't really like talk about what you were doing. Mm-hmm. And you've told me through filtered memories a little bit. But there's not a really good way for me to like really grasp exactly what it was like for you. We might end up watching that documentary um, or you reading that book. I'm inclined to watch the documentary. <laughs> How long is the book? I don't know. It was like probably 200 or so pages. It's not very Oh, that's big. not too bad. No. I just have so much to read. We all have we so much. We can watch the documentary. We all have so much to read. <laughs> that's true. Well, that reflects our different reading tastes pretty well, I would say. Mm-hmm. So let's chat a little bit about how we got to be who we are today as readers. What was little tiny Curtis like as a baby bookworm? <laughs> uh, so I started off reading by age three, is as far as my mom remembers. Uh, my mom was a kindergarten teacher. Um, my grandparents always read to me, and I have very vivid memories of my grandfather reading stories to me and then finally being like, I don't want people to read to me anymore. I want to read my own stories. (laughs) So just the natural control freak aspect of my personality was coming in and I was just like, I I can do it myself. I will do this myself. (laughs) So, yeah. Do you remember any of the books that they read to you? Your parents or grandparents that you had favorites? Um, I don't know. My memory is just my grandfather reading me uh, the story of David in like a picture book recollection Um, and then there was another one that was about um, I think it was the Battle of Little Bighorn Mm -hmm. just like in an old school book that he used to have when he was growing up and as a kid so those are the two that stick with me yeah that's cute what about uh, little little bookworm Chelsea (laughs) um 
my parents were really good about surrounding my little brother and I with books too, but I spent more of my time at the library. So um, my vivid memories from when I was little are either my mom or my dad, depending on who was working during the day, taking me to story time mm-hmm. and the librarians reading to me and doing all the story time activities. Uh, I could close my eyes and remember my hometown library when I was a kid and just like walk through the doors right now. And oh, I'd... for sure. I can smell the Heartland Public Library. Nice. Like I can, I can totally, like you said, like I could close my eyes. I can picture walking through every section, but it has a very specific smell too. And you know, they added on to it recently. Mm-hmm. And the new wing doesn't smell the same as the old part. Because it hasn't had all the books sitting in there for decades. I know. But there's just something really special about that library smell. And it's different from other... I mean, I've been in other libraries since. And nothing smells like the Heartland Public Library to me. I think that's mostly just emotional. Yeah. (laughs) Scent is strongly connected to emotion. (laughs) I'm proving that right now. (laughs) Um, what, what were you picking up off the shelves? Like, what do you remember as a kid going to get the library? Okay, I remember getting Babysitter's Club, Nancy Drew, Boxcar Children, and one of my most vivid memory memories of the library is getting all of the Wizard of Oz books. And they had, like, really awesome vintage copies with illustrations and everything. Um, and the full books, not abridged versions or anything like that. I remember when we learned that you were a Nancy Drew girl and I was a Hardy Boy reader, and it just seemed like it was the destiny. Perfect match, just right? Everything, yeah. Because it for me, it was always the Hardy Boys and the Boxcar Children for you know mysteries and self reliant kids that are like doing it without the adults and getting like mysteries solved. Yeah. What is okay? I have my own theories, but why do you think maybe it's particularly because we were oldest children? Mm-hmm. What's the fascination with kids and these books about orphans or like parents aren't in the picture at all? I think it ties like in. Boxcar children. I think it ties in that we're both eldest children with type A personalities. We just want to be the boss. <laughs> yeah, we're 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 bossy individuals. So we and we're like to solve problems. But those books are really popular. I don't think it's just oldest children who are reading them. No, but then there's enough children in, like with the Hardy Boys, you can identify with either Frank or Joe or Chet, who really wants to be a Chet. And then... Nobody wants to be a Chet. Yeah, but then with the Boxcar children, you can have all of them and you can pick which ones your personality lines up with. Like I was always a Henry because he's the oldest and the protector and the problem solver and... I assume you were a Jesse. Why would you assume that? I don't know, just because he's just the mom. You being sexist right now? No. <laughs> okay, I was Jesse. I knew. <laughs> I can't help it, I'm nurturing. Mm-hmm. I loved those books so much. The first one was my favorite. What like, was the first one? Well, that was when they are like outside the bakery and just recently on their own and then figuring out that they don't want to go live with their grandfather and are just finding the boxcar and living in the boxcar. Um, and then it ends with them yeah. going to live with their grandfather. I like vaguely remember them discovering the boxcar and starting to live there, but I don't really remember anything else. You've got a more vivid memory than I do, though. Well, I also did a little bit of extra research. Oh, um, what else did you learn about the boxcar children? So this was one of my tasks. Uh, it originally created and written by a first-grade teacher... 
Gertrude Chandler Warner in 1920s. Uh, it's still one of the top 100 chapter books of all time by the School Library Journal. And there was only the first 19 were written by Warner, set in the 20s and the 30s. And now there's over 150 total titles that were written after so, she passed. did we read the original ones? Yes. Because I don't remember them being set in the 20s and 30s. The covers for sure were modern. Like, Jesse was wearing 90s stonewashed jeans on the books that I remember. Not the ones that I read. I read the old ones. So I, I read the old school ones that were from the 20s and the 30s. I wonder if we read different boxcar children books. Probably. But that's really interesting, actually. We need to look into that. Well, we've already said a couple of them. There's uh, there's Henry, who's the oldest, then Jesse's the oldest girl, uh, Violet is the second girl, and then Benny is the funny one, and he's the youngest boy. And those oh. are all the Aldens. So they, they go in, live in a boxcar um, while they're orphans and on their own, don't really want to go live with their grandfather. Uh, eventually they do go and live with him because the way that they kind of say it is that he's their paternal grandfather who didn't like their mother and then in a sense didn't like the children so they always thought he was like the mean curmudgeon person but you know when they went and lived with him he let them take the boxcar to the house and set it up in the backyard um and they had a dog named watch i forgot about watch but i loved him a lot of this is news to me i don't remember it breaking it out uh, do you do you not remember that they found Watch and he had a thorn in his paw and they got the thorn out? Of I his do paw? remember that. Yeah. yeah, that's that's vivid for me. I for was like, some reason, I didn't think that they ever went to live with their grandfather. I thought they lived on their own forever. Mm-mm. Like right after the first book, they went and lived with him. But the big messages with them were that kids can solve mysteries on their own because they took up amateur sleuthing, solving like. And problems pretty much followed them wherever they would go, like the well, vacation and then stuff would happen, and there would just be mysteries and stuff for the boxcar children to solve. Well, what else do you remember, maybe like school-wise, from reading? Because I feel like the learning to read and experiences with the library and at home are definitely formative, but a lot of, I feel like, what shaped me as a reader was how reading was taught and what I was reading for school. I don't really remember a lot of the content that I was reading sure. growing up, but it was important mainly for competition purposes. Like, did you ever have a battle of the books or like a reading competition? We had Accelerated Reader, which was really just a competition against yourself. But you could get certificates, like you read the book and you took a test on it. Oh, we, we it was like a, ours was like a quiz type of a thing where they would ask teams of three yeah. questions, it would go back and forth, uh, and you had to know the questions, and then you got bonus points for knowing the title and author. So Both was... of these things still exist, and I'm not in favor of either of them. Why? Because reading should be about the love of reading. And not about quizzing your comprehension and competing for points. Like, it's more important that you can read and discuss the issues associated with the book or, like, how you felt about it than it is that you can recall specific facts. I hated Accelerated Reader when I was little, too. I just wanted to read whatever I wanted to read without having to take a test on it. You're ruining my childhood. Well, you married an English teacher, so this is what you get. (laughs) (laughs) I... Seriously, like, I just enjoyed the comprehension and memorizing authors and titles and doing all that stuff, which I think paid off a little bit in the things that I do professionally. But 
Because you have to remember a lot of stuff. Yeah, but then I, I see where you're coming from where it's like, I couldn't tell you how I felt about like A Wrinkle in Time. I would just say that I knew who wrote it and what happened. That makes me so sad. What? You can't remember any books from your childhood that like really made you feel something? No. Oh, Curtis, I'm going to cry. I'm not really, books don't really, like when I was younger, they don't tie in a lot of like the feels. Oh my goodness. That's why I remember a lot of the books that I remember. Is what do you, like what do you remember? Felt. What do you remember from school? One thing I remember from school, other than hating Accelerated Reader, was just always having a book with me. Mm-hmm. And I would finish my homework early or finish a test early and always be able to open my book. And that was partly because I love to read, but it also was a little bit of introvert time for me. because You, you and I are very similar in that regard. Yeah, because school can be really overstimulating for super introverted kids. I don't think I realized that at the time, because of course you're happy to hang out with your friends and everything. But especially by the end of the day... Um, I just wanted to read a book. Yeah, I just wanted to be in a different world. I didn't want to have to talk to anyone. So it was nice to be able to have a book and have teachers that didn't care if I was just sitting and reading quietly to myself. Yeah. I do remember some of the books that I read for school, though. Like, I remember reading The Giver. I remember reading... Actually, in eighth grade, we read Animal Farm. That seems kind of weird for... Odd for a Lutheran school, especially. Yeah. But I, I really dug that. But as much as I loved reading, I feel like we grew up in an era of really great children's television programming. Like, the, Oh, yeah. Um, Wishbone. Oh, Wishbone. Wishbone was the best. It really was. But you know what? I couldn't tell you anything about the humans in that show. All I remember is the dog. See, I just remember thinking about the humans being like... Why are how, you here? Because I didn't care about them. I, how weird did they feel acting apart from a dog? Oh, like, sign me up for that. Are you kidding? <laughs> well, just think about that where you're doing like doing your audition and you're just like, my big break is I was one of the human <laughs> characters on Wishbone. Well, yeah, because with that show, it was almost like they were the side characters. Wishbone was the main character, no question. Was his owner, was the kid's name Joe? Do you want me to dive into this other bit of research that well, I did? Was there's also on Wishbone? Yeah, I tell can. me what the kid's name was. His name was Joe. Oh my goodness, I got it. Good job. Do you remember the mom's name? No. Ellen. Okay. Joe and Ellen Talbot. Fun fact, they were real life mother and son. Seriously? Yes. I learned that was I like had no the, idea. That was like the coolest thing I learned when I was doing <laughs> research. Was they were actually mother and son in real life. Um, I remember specific episodes of Wishbone. Which one was your favorite? Um I really liked the Joan of Arc episode. Which he didn't play Joan of Arc. That was like the one... Where he wasn't a main character. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, Rip Van Winkle. That was one of my favorites. I like that one a lot. Mostly Ro- just Romeo because... and Juliet. Who wouldn't love that one? The Tempest. <laughs> Great Expectations. <laughs> I could keep going, but all I remember from those episodes is Wishbone acting out the parts. Oh, Pride and Prejudice. He was Mr. Darcy. Darcy. <laughs> If you think about it too long, it gets really weird. So you just can't think about it. <laughs> uh, I think the first like Pride and Prejudice I saw was Wishbone, and then oh, for sure. when I had to watch the one with Colin Firth, I was just like, "You're not, you know, you're I, not Wishbone." I, I, gotta, I gotta stack you up against a Jack Russell Terrier, dude. This is 
This is kind of weird. See, I feel like more people felt that way about when the Keira Knightley Pride and Prejudice came out and they were like, Matthew McFadden doesn't stack up to Colin Firth. <laughs> and here you're like, this none of, of you can match Wishbone. Wishbone is the man. For a Jack Russell Terrier, he does a good job about not showing emotion, which is quintessential Darcy. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't get too excited. <laughs> Did you learn anything about Wishbone, like the dog? Uh, so the dog's name was Soccer, and he got no, the... it was Wishbone. Don't no, even the, start with me. The dog's name was Soccer. It's wishbone. Um, he got the job after they auditioned like a hundred to one hundred and fifty dogs because he could actually do a backflip. <laughs> Show did Wishbone do a backflip? You don't remember him doing backflips? No! Okay, do you remember like the one meta episode of Wishbone? They were all meta because Joe's storylines were mirroring whatever story was that Wishbone was telling and acting out in. They were all literally meta. Okay, what about the ultra meta one where they had him play a dog on a show that they were doing the behind the scenes for? Mr. McPooch? Yes. Okay, so... He does a backflip in that one when he's auditioning to be Mr. McPooch. Which was like... And the other funny part about that one is the voice actor for Wishbone has a cameo in that one as the voice actor for Mr. McPooch. Oh, that is ultra meta. I told you! You didn't believe me. (laughs) Uh, But it was cancelled by PBS because it said it had a lack of merchandising potential. But they ran reruns uh, for 10 years after it was cancelled until 2008... And then it was replaced off of syndication. But I remember the they had the all the episodes, and then remember they had the movie with O. Henry, mm. you know, like with the western one. Mm-mm. Oh, that one, that was one. It was like a f- um, feature length movie. Ooh, yeah, that one was kind of cool. Put um, that on Netflix, people. <laughs> why isn't it? On Netflix? Wishbone on it, Netflix. It Come on. Be, it needs to be on Netflix. But I think the yeah the. Oh, the other fun thing that I learned was the voice actor who was auditioning. They they had soccer in there because they'd already picked him. Sure. And then they just threw a tennis ball in there with no script, and he had to ad lib for five minutes about playing with the tennis ball, and that's how he got the job to be Wishbone's voice actor. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm just imagining, like, person after person coming in, and the dog is just playing with the tennis ball. Not giving a crap. Like, <laughs> and they yeah, just have to narrate it. I'm just playing with this tennis ball. And then how do you, do you just watch, do you completely separate yourself if you're the casting director? You watch the footage later on of the recording where the dog's playing with the tennis ball and you just go based on like, yeah, that sounds like the dog. I think it's just real time. It's got to be a real time chemistry thing. That's oh, <laughs> that's man. at least that's at least what I hope. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just wishbone. It was just... There was other really great television shows. Well, that's more than I ever needed to know about Wishbone. Did you learn anything else about one of our other favorite shows? Leading question much? Well, yes, I did. And what reminded me of it actually was when you were talking about PBS cutting funding. That was a major issue, I think, for a lot of the shows that we loved. Mm -hmm. Even though we obviously didn't know it at the time. But did you watch Reading Rainbow? Everybody watched Reading Rainbow. Loved it. It was the best. Well, I did some research because I really didn't know much about the show. And it ran for 26 years. It's a long time. Really long time. But there's a really awesome article that everyone who loves reading Rainbow should read. And we'll link to it in the show notes. 
It's from Mental Floss, and it's called Take a Look, an Oral History of Reading Rainbow. No, that's a good title for an article about reading rainbow. Yeah, but it was really good. I mean, I sat and just devoured the words on this one because it was fascinating. But basically, reading Rainbow started because in the late 70s and 80s, there was this big concern over kids losing their literacy skills over summer. which is they're not in school. Yeah, which is still a concern today. But this was also partially prompted by the increasing popularity in television. And there was kind of like still this fear around technology. Kind of like how today people are like, stop giving the kids cell phones and limit their screen time, that kind of thing. But people were kind of freaking out about like kids are watching TV and their brains will just never develop. So then they're like, so they were like, we're going to give you some good content. Yeah, we're going to put reading in the TV. So actually teachers and broadcasters came up with the idea for Reading Rainbow, which would air over summer and just encourage a love of reading. Not working on skills at all. That's not the focus is just to get kids to love to read. So there were three basic elements in every single episode. First of all, read to kids out loud, which I loved. And you remember how they would, you'd open the picture book and they would have like the camera pan so you could see the pictures. So it really felt like story time where the librarian's holding the picture book up and turning the pages so you can see. Mm -hmm. They would do that, get kids involved in the experience of reading. So they took a field trip and then have kids talk to each other about what they read or recommend further books. And basically like that model is still best practices in the classroom today. So that amazes me. Um, But like I said, it was 26 years running. That's just crazy to me. LeVar Burton had a good run. Oh my goodness, did he ever. But his impact on children's television is right up there with Fred Rogers. And so I know there's a lot of Mr. Rogers, the documentary, The um, there's a biography out about him. There's sort of like this resurgence of nostalgia for that. And so I think this a lot of the same could be said for LeVar Burton. Um, and I just think the article is like an absolute must read if you loved reading rainbow or if you're just interested in pbs and funding and like behind the scenes stuff because lavar burton talks and then the show creators talk about it and it's awesome i think it took me until my late teens maybe early 20s before i knew that lavar burton was in star trek yeah because i was always just like he's that reading rainbow guy and so here's the other thing so he was doing those at the same time and he thought that he would have to quit reading rainbow which can you even imagine But the um, lead producer on Star Trek was a big fan of children's television. And so he said, no, this is a priority. You're doing important work. I will arrange the schedule around you so that you can keep doing Reading Rainbow because it's important. That's so cool. Isn't it? Like a lot of the stuff that came up in the article was like people rallying to like keep the show. So it was pretty neat. Yeah. We grew up in a good time for reading television. I know. I mean, maybe there are still some good shows now, but I wouldn't know what they are. Well, there's the last show we wanted to talk about, which I feel like is even more topical right now because we're in the middle of our move. We popped on a PBS show and Arthur was on. And it was... we. I didn't know this, and we both found out at the same time that Arthur has been continuously running for the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. I thought for like when we were kids and stopped watching it that it for some reason just went away, but it's been still going it's strong. Still going. Yeah. But that was a great show too. I liked it. Yeah. Um the library card episode, I don't know if you remember the song I, as vividly as I do. I when remember, DW gets a library card. I just remember the song. 
Well, it aired in 1999. How old were you? Nine. I was seven. Prime Arthur watching time. Um, it's season four. The episode is on YouTube, so I'll link to that in the show notes as well. So basically, DW learns about the library, and both both DW and Arthur have like all these anxieties around using the library. And as an anxious kid, I so connected with it. It was like, but what if I check out a baby book and everyone's gonna think that I'm like too young and what if I have a late fee I'm gonna be like marked forever as a bad library patron um and so it was just like life affirming for me as a nervous kid I don't see I wouldn't have connected with that as a nervous kid but I did connect with the episode where Arthur and Francine got stuck in the library because they were there too long yeah but that was like I had a fear of that where because it was the 90s and nobody really cared (laughs) <laughs> that like kids were just randomly sitting at tables and then like there was no I don't remember there being like oh, the library is now closing and that sort of thing so that was my fears that I would be in the library and for so long that it would close no that was my dream did you ever read the mixed up files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler yeah where you get locked in the museum yeah did you not want to do that no oh my goodness first you don't have any feelings then you don't want to get locked in the museum. These are things we should have talked about in premarital counseling. It's too late for deal breakers, honey. We're, we're in this for the long haul. What could be better than getting locked in the museum at night? Getting locked in the museum? At, have you seen Night at the Museum? Yeah. Stuff comes alive and will throw stuff at you. Not in Mrs. Basil Frankweiler. I don't remember that one. We're, oh, it's such a good book. I think maybe we need to see if that's on audio and listen to it together. That's a blast from the past. Well, well, do you remember besides Nancy Drew and all the other stuff we have already mentioned, like what were the big books you were reading as a kid? Like Um, any series that you were really into or? I liked the Sammy Keys series, which I listened to a couple of them recently. And for the most part, they still hold up. There was one book that like had a sort of problematic element in it for me, but I realized I didn't notice it as a kid, but um, those were fun. Like, anything with a spunky heroine was basically my cup of tea. That's that's typical Chelsea. Yeah. But the one book that I vividly remember, like, the first book that I really recall staying up all night with the flashlight under the covers is Ink Card by Cornelia Funk. It's a book in German translation. And it's about a girl, Maggie, and her father is like a bookbinder, I think. And he has the ability to read characters to life. So when he reads out loud, characters come out of the stories. Hmm. And so obviously that's like a fabulous element for a bookworm. And then it's like fantasy. So I really liked that author. That Those are some books that I want to read again. But yeah, those were the main ones that I thought about. What about you? Well, in the fantasy genre, we as a child of the 90s and 2000s, I was a Harry Potter kid. But that was, as I was like... Harry Potter! <laughs> <laughs> uh, my mom was not really for it, like when I first wanted to try reading them. So I read the first couple without really letting anybody know in my house that I was reading them. Sneaky! And then it just got to the point where it was like, you know... 
I'm gonna do what I want and just read them. So <laughs> I, I was kind of the rebel child being like, yeah, I'm gonna read Harry Potter. And yeah. just, even though nobody really says anything. But. So I wonder if that element like pushed you further to read them because I read the first two, three maybe. And nobody cared, except that they wouldn't allow it on the accelerated reader list at the Lutheran school, which, whatever. It was more, but, it, it was to stick it to my mom that yeah. she told me not to, so then I was She's going to listen to this. I know. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you but, and your mouth. But uh, the other books that I was reading from a very young age, and I was always a Star Wars kid, so yeah. like the expanded universe when we were growing up before like the prequel trilogies was all we had so mm-hmm. like before 99 when the episode one came out i was reading books like years before then being like i just have to soak up all this content that i can get um sure so there was a ton of series that were like continuation of han solo and luke skywalker and leia's stories after like all, all the way up until like 50 years after the end of the original trilogy like where they had kids and then their kids are fighting other wars and stuff like that and I had probably a, close to a hundred Star Wars books and then when Disney bought Lucas and said that none of them are going to be considered like the official canon anymore I flipped out and sold them all just because I was just <laughs> like you guys are horrible I can't believe you did that and I wasted decades of my life reading these stories <laughs> That are now That's not such a nerd thing. I know. Like to be honest, I tuned out after he said Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope that there's people out there that listen to this podcast. I'm sure there's that, at least that one. will appreciate Star Wars. So, but but for people out there that are trying to get your husbands to read things, if they like Star Wars, just tell them that there's you know a whole separate world out there. That's got continuations of stories that they might like. If they need suggestions, come talk to me. I will help you out. While I was zoning out, I thought of one of my other favorite books. Go ahead. I loved, and still to this day really do love, Ella Enchanted by Gail Carson Levine. The movie sucks. Never seen it. Well, it sucks. But the book is really, really good. But that brings me to my recommendation of the week. Do you want to talk about those? Sure. So I'll go first since it's on my mind anyway. But my recommendation of the week is um, a podcast called SSR Pod, and um, the lovely host talks about different, like, favorite childhood reads with a friend. So they have an episode on Ella Enchanted that I'll link in the show notes. That's one of my favorites. And it's fun. So SSR, in terms of school reading, stands for Silent Sustained Reading, but in terms of this podcast, it stands for Shit She Read. So the host and her girlfriends talk about the shit that they read as kids That's... and sort of through, like, grown lady lens. So, like, does this hold up today with our adult woman standards and kind of talk about the nostalgia of it, but then also kind of pick it apart a little bit, which I love that mix. You know, I've wondered about that. It's like how much of this stuff that we talked about today just has rose-colored glasses and whether it actually still holds up. Like, I bet I could read the first Boxcar Children book today and it would Mm -hmm. still hold up for me, but I don't know about the Hardy Boys. I can't do that with Little House on the Prairie. Well, Like, those books were, like, such a core thing of my childhood, but I know that if I read them today, it would be tough. 
um, better just, just to not revisit it and have, hold it in his I, memory. Yeah, I almost like I just don't want to go there. Mm-hmm. But that's also that's another episode that they did on SSR. So that's my rec of the week. Nice. What's yours? All right. So my recommendation with stuff that I kind of not really childhood reading, but when I was a teenager, I got big into the Tom Clancy, Jack Ryan books, and we both started watching the. Amazon series with John Krasinski, mm-hmm. and I'm a big fan, even though we're only one episode in. He's a genuine action star now, and he's no longer Jim Halpert. So. Yeah, the first episode they show his abs, so you know it's for real. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like a very intentional sheet placement. <laughs> like the only point of that scene was like, look, we're gonna he's show, jacked. We're going to show that he's jacked. Oh, Jack's jacked. <laughs> it was really good though yeah. I'm interested to see how it goes but it's not really totally based on the books no so there's it's loosely based on the story but the characters are very similar okay um, like, do you like that I feel like it keeps it fresh and then also keeps the version of the story that's been like the Harrison Ford movies that were very similar and like mm-hmm. taken from the books it leaves that as its own thing. Okay. So it's not taken, hey, this is what Harrison Ford did 20 years ago. That was a good representation of the books. We're just, and we want to replicate that. We're doing a yeah. thing. We'll, we'll see how it goes. But It's I'm, Amazon. I'm a big so. fan of what Amazon's putting out these days. So that's, the, that's my recommendation. Go out and watch Jack Ryan if you grew up reading Tom Clancy. That's it for our episode on our childhood reading experiences. You can catch us weekly We'll talk about different bookworm things, and we do buddy reads once a month. So our first buddy read is A Darker Shade of Magic by V.E. Schwab, which you just started. I did start, and I am loving it so far. Good. I'm excited to get into that, and we'll talk about that at the end of this month. And we would love to hear your questions and hear what you would like to listen to from us each week. So a couple ways that you can do that. You can connect with us via social media. Our Twitter and Instagram handle is at HeReadSheRead, and our email is HeReadSheReadPodcast at gmail.com, but you can find show notes and you can find a contact form at our website, which is www.HeReadSheRead.org, and you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you download your favorites. And that'll help you keep up to date with us. It would also mean the world to us if you left a review on iTunes so that more bookworms can find us and spread the book love. Thank you for listening. We appreciate everybody. And remember, the couple that reads together... Watches Arthur in their spare time. (laughs) (laughs) Writes letters to Netflix begging them to get Wishbone back. I like that one. (laughs) Um... Do you, do you want me to? I'll, I'll redo it again. Argues about which boxcar children they are. <laughs> um, solves mysteries in their spare time. Hey, let's solve mystery. Sure, just random. People are doing it online now. Sure, random mysteries are just going to pop up and we're, we'll be there ready you to do You can be the Ned to my Nancy. <laughs> you have a nice flashlight. I do have nice flashlights that I'll just hold for you. How many lumens do you think Ned had back in the day? All of the lumens that were available to him. <laughs> which probably wasn't that much. No, but I'm rocking 500. <laughs>